Today, we're looking at part one of the story of Charles Hayden Spurgeon, the renowned 19th century English Baptist minister, often referred to as the Prince of Preachers. Welcome back to the Church History Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Lee Siemens, and today I'm telling you the first part of the story of Charles Hayden Spurgeon. The story starts in Essex, England, on June 19, 1834, when a 19-year-old Eliza Spurgeon gave birth to her son, Charles. Her husband, John, was a pastor, and the young couple struggled with money. When their baby Charles was just 18 months old, they realized they needed help, and they sent young Charles to live with his grandfather, Pastor James Spurgeon. Charles' father, grandfather, and great-grandfather were preachers and loved God very much, and they loved and cared for Charles. While living with his grandfather, Charles' 17-year-old aunt, named Anne, became like a mother to him, and Anne and Charles were very close. Over the next few years, Charles thrived in his grandfather's home under the care of his aunt. And as a young child, the library was his favorite room in the house. This was a room with hundreds of books. And even though Charles was too young to read, he loved this room. He loved the smell of the books and the feel of them in his hands. And He loved the pictures he found in them. His favorite book was Pilgrim's Progress. He loved the artwork, but even more, he loved it when his aunt would read the book to him. It was his favorite. Charles' grandmother also loved him a lot, and she would give him a nickel every time he memorized a hymn. Charles' father and mother were working hard to afford to have Charles back home. John was a pastor, and as the church grew, they were able to pay him more. Finally, they were able to afford a larger house and have Charles come back home and live with them. By this time, Charles was six years old and had lived with his grandfather and grandmother and aunt since he was 18 months old. Charles loved his family, and he was glad to move home with his parents. But he missed his grandparents, and especially his aunt, who had been like a mother to him. Still, he was loved by his parents, his aunt, his grandparents, and with so much love, he was a very lucky little boy. Eliza and John had 16 children, but of those 16 children, nine of them died in early childhood. Charles witnessed the death of nine siblings. Charles was a good older brother to his siblings, He loved to play church in his father's church. He would preach sermons from the pulpit while his siblings sat in the pews and listened. From his early childhood, God was preparing him. Now, Charles had a limited formal education. He did attend local schools, and he was pretty proficient in Latin, Greek, and philosophy. But his true education came from all of his reading and his absolute love for learning. As Charles entered his teens, he held a secret. He loved his sin. He kept his sin secret and his love for his hidden sins a secret. 
Charles wanted desperately for God to love him, but he knew that God could see his sin, and he could see how much he loved his sin, and that made him fear God and want to do everything to avoid him. One day, Charles was 15 years old. He was walking to church on a cold January 6, in 1850, when a snowstorm started. He was very cold, and the snow was blinding. He realized he needed to find shelter. He found an open church, went inside, and sat on the back row. He planned on warming up and then heading back out. The church was smaller than his father's and grandfather's church. In fact, only around 12 people were in the congregation. It was a small, primitive Methodist chapel. The pastor was away, and a layman was preaching from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Look unto me, and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. The pastor stopped his message and looked at the teenager, who had walked into the church and sat in the back row. He started talking directly to him. Young man, you are miserable. You will never find happiness until you find God. All you have to do is look. Look to Jesus and be saved. That day, in that small chapel, Charles gave his life to Christ. He began studying the Bible with a new understanding, and one of the things he realized is that he needed to be baptized. His father and grandfather did not believe in adult baptism. But as Charles read the Bible, he was convinced he needed to be baptized. So he followed God, was baptized, and became a St. Andrew's Baptist Church member. The young 15-year-old started teaching Sunday school and became a popular teacher. Now, I've done a few episodes that covered the Sunday school teaching movement at the time, and I'll put links to those in the show notes. Charles was a popular teacher because he could explain complex biblical teachings in a way everyone could understand. One day, Charles arrived at church to find out he was scheduled to preach the sermon. He was shocked. He didn't know he was scheduled to preach, and he was just a young teenager, 15 years old. He decided to preach the Sunday school lesson he had taught the week before to the children. But would the adults think it was silly? The church loved it, and word spread about this young preacher, and soon he was invited to preach in pulpits all over the countryside. At age 17, he was asked to become the pastor of a small country church in a town known for its drinking and fighting. People started coming out to hear this young man preach, which is when Charles led someone to Christ for the first time. It was the wife of a well-known man in town. Charles said the experience was like a deep-sea diver finding his first treasure. He was bit with a bug, and he would preach for the rest of his life. After a year, the small country church was filled to the max, and Charles was preaching three times every Sunday and five times during the week in order to fit everyone into the church. And the village changed. Then, one Sunday morning in 1853, Charles received a letter that changed his life. Charles received a letter from the New Park Street Chapel in London. 
This was one of the most famous churches in London, England, and they were asking him to come and preach as a trial to see if he would be accepted as their new pastor. Charles was sure there had to be a mistake. He was a teenager living in the country with limited education. Why would a church like New Park Street Chapel even know who he was? Let's pause here and discuss the New Park Street Chapel because it's an important part of church history. The New Park Street Chapel was a Reformed Baptist church in Southwark, London. Now here are some key points about its history. First, this church began worshiping together in the year 1650, and the first pastor was William Ryder. And the church played a really crucial role in the history of Baptist congregations. This congregation continued to gather, even though there was extreme persecution, and in fact, independent Christian organizations were banned from meeting from 1650 all the way until 1688. But this church refused to close its doors. In 1720, Dr. John Gill became the pastor, and he served there for 51 years. And then Dr. John Rippon followed with another 63 years. The church grew and became one of the largest congregations in the country. So, when Charles learned this church in London wanted him to preach, and possibly pastor, he knew he was very unqualified. Still, he traveled to London to preach. London had around 3 million people, and crowds of people bothered Charles. He was not used to the bustle and the quick pace of the city. The smells bothered him, and the sights of the poor living on the streets while the rich passed by ignoring them shocked him. The orphans were the hardest thing to see. Little boys and girls, skinny and starving on the streets, stealing to survive, while extremely wealthy men and women walked by ignoring them. Charles had never seen such a thing. Queen Victoria was reigning over England, and there was a lot of really important things happening. There was new inventions, medicine was improving, they were in the middle of the Industrial Revolution, which was making wealthy people more wealthy, and was giving opportunity for poor people to work, but was often abusing them. The new Park Street Chapel Church was really no better. They'd invited this country teenager to preach, but no one in the church was willing to house him. So, the church set up young Charles at a boarding house. His room was extremely small. It barely fit a small bed. The other men staying in the boarding house enjoyed making fun of this little country boy. All in all, Charles was hating this trip, and sure, God would never ask him to live here. On Sunday, Charles walked to the new Park Street Chapel Church. It was the largest church he had ever seen. He was shocked at the grandeur of the church. He walked inside, a little terrified to preach. But while the church had a great history and a grand building, over the years, the church had been going downhill. And that Sunday, only a handful of people showed up to hear the young teenager from the country. The audience was actually smaller than the tiny country church Charles was used to preaching in. He stood in the pulpit and preached the morning service, and then let the congregation know 
he would be back for the Sunday evening service. That Sunday night, the church had hundreds pour in to hear this preacher because word had spread during that day, this was a preacher you should come and hear. In 1854, at age 20, Charles officially became the pastor of the new Park Street Chapel in London. His powerful oratory skills and his penetrating sermons quickly drew large crowds. One of the things that made Charles famous and people loved to hear was the stories and the illustrations he would use to make the point in his sermons. Within a few months, his ability as a preacher made him famous. His sermons were published regularly in newspapers, including the London Times, and they were highly circulated. Charles' sermons were transcribed as he spoke and were translated into many languages during his lifetime. One young lady heard about this young preacher and decided to come and hear what he had to say. She was not impressed. Her name was Susan Thompson, and she found Charles' accent to be ignorant and, quite frankly, a little annoying. Susan had become a Christian at a young age, but now, as a young lady, she was struggling with her faith. She had doubts, and she was wondering if the faith she had come to believe in at a young age was just a childhood fancy. Perhaps it wasn't real at all. But even though the preacher's accent seemed ignorant and low class, and even though she had doubts about her faith, she found herself returning week after week. Charles saw her attending each week, and he spoke to her. He learned about her struggles with her faith, and so he sent her a gift. Susan received a package from the preacher at the New Park Street Chapel, and it was a book. She opened it and began to read The Pilgrim's Progress. Pastor Spurgeon said it was his favorite book and had inspired his life choices. And as Susan opened the book and read it, she loved the book too. And then, Pastor Spurgeon invited her to the grand reopening at the Crystal Palace, and she agreed to go. The Crystal Palace was grand. Cast iron and plate glass structures, it was the most inspiring building of its lifetime. It was located in Hyde Park, and when Charles and Susan visited it, it was the largest building in the world. And this was their first date, but it would be their first of many. Charles led Susan through her doubts, and her faith was stronger than it had ever been. And soon that accent she thought was annoying and ignorant became charming and sweet. And by the winter, the two were married. And soon after, Charles gave birth to twins, Charles and Thomas. The church continued to grow, and the building Charles had once thought of as huge and daunting now seemed small. No matter how many services they held, the building was overcrowded, and with no ventilation, the smell during the service was unbearable. Charles began fighting with the deacon board. He wanted to expand the church, and the deacons didn't want to spend the money. But eventually it was clear they had no choice. They had to expand. But while expansion was going on, they would need some place to meet. So they rented the Exeter Hall that could sit 4,000 people. And soon the hall was packed every Sunday morning to hear the 21-year-old country preacher. But the press was angry. This country preacher was becoming famous. And they began to print lies about Charles. His character was attacked. And Charles found this very difficult. 
While he tried to remain strong for his young family and his church, inwardly, he was hurt by the lies and embarrassed by them. However, he learned that this fake news press helped him remain humble as his fame spread. Soon, the church reopened and they returned to their location. Immediately, they realized while they had been doing the renovations, the church congregation had been growing and they were already beyond the max of their renovations. By age 22, Charles was quite possibly the most famous orator in the world. His youthful appearance contrasted with his mature sermons, which resonated deeply with listeners. The church building could not be expanded enough. They would have to build a brand new church. While the new church was being built, the church began to meet at Surrey Gardens Music Hall. This hall could seat 10,000 people. And the very first Sunday they met, crowds filled the seats. Then, suddenly, someone yelled, fire! And someone else started yelling that the balcony was collapsing. People all started yelling and trying to rush out of the building all at the same time. From the pulpit, Charles was informed there was a fire, and he told people to leave carefully and in an orderly fashion. But panic hit the large crowd, and people began to push and shove. Fire! Fire! The galleries are giving way! The place is falling! In the stampede, seven people were trampled to death, and many more were seriously injured. And when everything calmed down, it was realized there was no fire, and the structure was fine. It was a group of people that, today we would call them trolls, who wanted to ruin the service. They had started yelling fire and that the building was collapsing to panic and end the service. But it was not these trolls that were blamed. The press blamed Charles. And I'm going to read an article right now that was published in the Daily Telegraph on October 20th, 1856. Mr. Spurgeon is a preacher who hurls damnation at the heads of his sinful hearers. Some men there are who, taking their precepts from holy writ, would beckon errant souls to a rightful path with fair words and gentle admonition. Mr. Charles would take them by the nose and bully them into religion. Let us set up a barrier to the encroachments and blasphemies of men like Spurgeon, saying to them, Thus far shalt thou come, but no farther. Let us despise some powerful means which should tell to the thousands who now stand in need of enlightenment. This man, in his opinion, is a righteous Christian, but in ours, nothing more than a ranting charlatan. We are neither straight-laced nor sabbatarian in our sentiments, but we would keep apart, wildly apart, the theater and the church. Above all, we would place in the hand of every right-thinking man a whip to scourge from society the authors of such vile blasphemies as on Sunday night, above the cries and the dead and the dying, and louder than the wails of misery from the maimed and the suffering resounded from the mouth of Spurgeon in the music hall of the Surrey Gardens. And lastly, when the mangled corpses had been carried away from the unhallowed and disgraceful scene, when husbands were seeking their wives and children their mothers in extreme agony and despair, the chink of the money as it fell into the collection boxes grated harshly 
miserably on the ears of those who he sincerely hoped have by this time convinced Mr. Spurgeon and his rantings of profoundest contempt. Now, I'm going to sum this up to explain what this article was saying in more today's language. Mr. Spurgeon is a preacher who strongly condemns sinners in his sermons. Some people believe gentle words and kind advice are the best way to give to those who've lost their way following the teachings of the Bible. However, Mr. Spurgeon takes a more forceful approach. He uses harsh language and he intimidates people to bring them to religion. Some individuals feel we need to stop figures like Spurgeon from spreading such harmful messages. They want to set limits and prevent him from going too far. They agree that Spurgeon's actions, such as preaching in the music hall on Sunday night, are disrespectful and inappropriate. And they believe the sounds of his preaching drowned out the cries of the sick and the suffering that happened on that night. And that collecting money during such a horrific time was disrespectful. Overall, we hold Mr. Spurgeon and his preaching style in low regard. Charles was heartbroken, and he did feel personally responsible. He had nightmares of seeing the dead, especially the women. Charles was still a young man at this point. He was 22 years old. He had a young wife and twin babies. He had the responsibility of leading the largest church in England and was in the middle of the largest building project a church had seen in his lifetime. And now he had the impact of this tragic event and the press wanted to ruin him. It was all too much for young Charles to bear and he fell into a depression. Next week, we're going to see how God carried Charles through this difficult time and the rest of his ministry. You're not going to want to miss that, so make sure you subscribe, and I'll see you next week.